Anyone just go watch the movie right now from beginning to end? Uh, you might remember that famous scene uh, from Dead Poet Society. Professor John Keating has been fired from the private boys' boarding school at which he taught. Many of the students are crestfallen as Keating taught them poetry in a way that opened up their minds and their hearts to um, the world and to each other more than any other professor had. In this scene, many of them give Keating a daring send-off, risking their academic futures to thank him, their captain, for impacting them the way that he did. A good teacher can do that, right? A good teacher can impact you. A good teacher can change your life forever. We've all had many teachers in our lives. If we're lucky, we've had one, like Mr. Keating, who have really impacted us. I've had plenty of good teachers like that. My high school drama teacher, Mrs. Rothermick, up there on the right, she opened me up to the world of drama and the theater in a way that allowed me to learn so much about myself by inhabiting the characters of others on stage. Uh, my high school English professor, Mrs. Singer, over there, she taught me the power of the perfect vocabulary word by drilling us with vocab words every week. My uh, seminary New Testament professor, Dr. Anderson, down here on the left, he taught me to see myself in scripture even as I studied rigorously its ancient context. My doctoral preaching professor, Dr. Egan, taught me to love the, the artistry and the science of preaching as God's chosen way of revealing himself to his people. I've had many, many good teachers over the years, and they have changed me in very important ways. Hopefully you have too. Who are they? Who are the teachers that have really changed you, that have really impacted you? Who are the teachers that you'd stand up on top of a desk for? It's these teachers in our lives who have made us who we are. As human beings, we are all learners. We are all students. So God gives us teachers. And in particular, God gives us one teacher. He is the teacher of teachers. He is the rabbi of rabbis. His lessons may never leave us, and if we choose, we may never exit his classroom. And he doesn't just teach us composition, or Spanish, or home economics, or physics, although he is very interested in all those topics. No, he teaches us about faith. He teaches us about life. He teaches us about love, about God. Of course, I am describing to you Jesus. If the preacher is ever describing someone to you, it's probably Jesus. Who's he talking about? Jesus. When Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, he came as many things. He came as a son of God. He came as a prophet. But he also came as our teacher. Now, we're studying Jesus this summer in our series called Summer in the Sun. We decided that while we talk about an awful lot here at Rooftop, uh, we want to make sure that we are becoming experts in Jesus. We want to make sure that we know Jesus really well. So this summer, uh, we are discussing some of the titles and some of the names that people use in reference to Jesus and some of the titles and names that he used in reference to himself. You can learn a lot about someone by understanding their names. And Jesus goes by many names, Son of God, Son of David, Son of Man, Messiah, Lord, all titles that we're going to look at or have looked at. And he also goes by the title Teacher or Rabbi. 
Many times in the Gospels, Jesus is addressed as teacher. The Greek word, New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word for teacher is didaskalos. Everybody say didaskalos. Didaskalos. It means teacher. And very frequently in the New Testament, Jesus is called teacher. Uh, as a man calls him in Matthew chapter 8, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Or a man in Luke 10, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus actually even refers to himself as a teacher. He sends his disciples off uh, to get some supplies. And he says, tell a certain man, the teacher says. That's me. I'm the teacher. Now, the word teacher is actually an adaptation of the Hebrew word rabbi. Jesus was Jewish. And a Jewish teacher was a rabbi. Now, the word rabbi doesn't necessarily mean, like, it wasn't necessarily a title. It's not like Jesus was in charge of a synagogue or anything. Back then in the first century, the word rabbi was actually more of a term of respect. It meant great one. And it was a, a word used to refer to someone's expertise in the law. Someone who had really studied through learning and memorization the Jewish law. And Jesus was always being described, addressed, as a rabbi, as a great one who had demonstrated his proficiency in the law. And all kinds of people call Jesus rabbi. Nathaniel declares in John, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And another man in Luke, Rabbi, we know that you speak and teach rightly. Show no partiality, but teach the way of God truly. So Jesus didn't necessarily have a degree. He didn't even have a classroom. Jesus didn't have a school. He was what experts call itinerant, just kind of wandered around teaching. But people still recognized his expertise. People still called him teacher. People still called him rabbi. Great one. Now, already we have something very important to learn here. It's important to understand that Jesus' decision to come to earth as a teacher wasn't accidental. It's not like a role he fell into. Jesus came to earth as a teacher because God knows we all need teachers. We are the sort of species that requires instruction from older, wiser, smarter, more educated folks. I was out on a walk the other day, out down by River de Pere. The floodwaters have receded. You can pass by now. And I saw in the tree a spider spinning a web. And I stood there and I looked at it for a little bit, and it, it occurred to me, this spider never had to learn how to spin a web. The spider was just born and knew how to spin webs. Spider didn't have to take spinning classes. Didn't have to take classes like that. Spider was just born and knew how to spin a web. We're not spiders. We're actually higher order beings created in the image of God who have been given assignments and responsibilities that do not come naturally to us like a spider does spinning a web. We've been created in the image of God and have responsibilities and assignments that are difficult. Assignments like getting along with each other, building community, exploring the heavens, becoming better people. Serving humanity, stewarding the earth. That stuff doesn't happen naturally. We don't instinctively know how to do that stuff like a spider knows how to spin a web. We learn how to do that stuff as we listen to and follow the instructions of our teachers. 
So the many teachers in our lives are thereby gifts from God. They are emblems of grace who give us a shot at realizing our God-given potential. And Jesus is the teacher par excellence. He is the teacher above all teachers who comes to us from God. And that's the thing about teachers. As much as we all have had good teachers in our lives, we've all had bad ones. Have you ever had a bad teacher? Nobody here has had the unfortunate experience of having a bad teacher. Have you ever had a teacher who, who clearly did not know what they were doing? Just because they had a degree, just because of a classroom, doesn't, know, doesn't mean that they're necessarily a teacher. Uh, I've had plenty of those. I've had bad teachers. Not as bad as this one. Uh, my junior high math teacher, Mr. Cahill, not my cup of tea. My fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Vorkis, was just waiting for retirement. My college history professor, Dr. Odell, made me hate history. I've gotten over it. I love history now, but for a while I just hated history. It's like the worst type of teacher. You know, the teacher who makes you hate what he or she has been assigned to inspire you to love. <laughs> and at the end of it, you're like, I hate this. Have you ever had a bad teacher like that? Well, the Jews had their own bad teachers. They had their own Mr. Cahill's and Mrs. Vorkis's and Dr. Odell's. Uh, these are teachers that were never nominated for Rabbi of the Year Award. Jesus stood out from amongst these teachers, though. Jesus was a good teacher. He was Professor Keating. Whenever Jesus taught, people showed up to class. Whenever Jesus lectured, people took notes. After one particularly powerful lesson, for example, Matthew writes in the Gospel, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Jesus stood out as a teacher. He was kind of the good kind of teacher that we need. Now, what made Jesus such a good teacher? He didn't even take any teaching classes. What made Jesus such a good teacher? Well, if you read the Gospels, the four records of his life and ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can tell that Jesus knew how to do all the things, all the things that good teachers do. For example, Jesus taught with expertise. Jesus knew his material. Jesus knew his stuff. My uh, younger brother, Greg, is a math teacher out in Parkway at uh, Northeast Middle. And I remember after he got his degree and he got his first job at, uh, at the middle school out there, he was learning his math. I mean, he wasn't a math guy. I remember growing up with Greg and he didn't know math at all. Uh, but he became a math teacher for some reason. And the, the night before every class, he would learn the, the math lesson that he needed to teach the next day. And it sort of dawned on me, oh, this is the depth of my teacher's experience. <laughs> they were just like one lesson ahead of the students every day. Now, I know that's not true of like every teacher, but at least new teachers. They're just kind of, oh, what do I got to teach tomorrow? <laughs> Better learn it. Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus knew his stuff. Jesus was an expert on everything. He knew the Jewish law backwards and forwards. When people would come up to ask him a question about the material, he always, always knew the answer, and he always knew exactly how to say it in the most memorable, impactful way. Also, Jesus cared about his subject. Jesus taught people about God. It wasn't just academic for him. He loved God. He wanted to tell other people about him. A lot of teachers just teach to get a paycheck. Jesus didn't even get paid. He just loved teaching about God because he loved God and he loved people. 
Jesus was a good teacher because he taught memorably. A good teacher makes things memorable, right? A good teacher makes things interesting. A good teacher uses memorable movie clips to make things memorable. A good teacher makes their points start with the same letter so that they're easier to follow along. This is what good teachers do. You probably know this, but Jesus' favorite teaching device wasn't the lecture. Jesus' favorite teaching device was something known as the parable. A parable is a story. Jesus told lots of stories about good Samaritans and lost sheep and prodigal sons. He knew that people don't remember lectures. They remember stories. And here we are, 2,000 years, still talking about the stories and remembering the details of the stories and what the point of the story was. Jesus was brilliant in his teaching. Jesus also used visual aids and metaphors to help people understand and remember what he was trying to teach them. He didn't define faith. He described faith as a mustard seed. He didn't talk about the judgment of God. He demonstrated the judgment of God by cursing a fig tree. And I could tell you about God's judgment, or let me just show it to you. Fabam! Curse the fig tree. They never forgot. What else made Jesus a good teacher? Lots of things. He taught with courage. Teachers can sometimes get into trouble, right? Like Professor Keating did. Teachers are always upsetting parents. Teachers are always upsetting the administration. Teachers are always upsetting congregants. Being a teacher isn't always safe. Sometimes you get yourself into trouble. Trust me. And to be sure, Jesus was always making enemies when he taught, but he did it anyway. He knew he was teaching, teaching truth to people, and he knew that people needed to hear it. And also, Jesus was a good teacher because he lived what he taught. Teachers can be total hypocrites, right? It's one of the reasons I hate being a teacher. I live in a constant state of hypocrisy. I tell you all to love your neighbors. I barely know mine. I'm trying to get to know their names. I tell you how much God hates sin, and I give in to greed and, and, and lust and selfishness just like the rest of you. I don't always live what I teach. Jesus did. He lived what he taught. He taught his followers to turn the other cheek, and then he did it. Taught his followers to serve one another in love, and then he washed their feet. For all these reasons and more, Jesus was a good teacher. It's actually why people went out to hear him. It's why uh, they followed him around. It's why they called him rabbi, the great one. It's why they stood up on their desks. Which actually raises a couple application questions for us this morning. The fact that Jesus was a good teacher raises a couple questions that we should ask ourselves. First, it raises the question of whether or not Jesus is our teacher. Jesus was a teacher when he walked on the earth, and a good one, but Christians actually believe that he is still teaching. He still teaches today. He teaches through his lessons, which have been preserved in his textbook. He teaches through the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit, reminding us of what we have already learned. Jesus is still teaching. He's still looking for students. To be a follower of Jesus means to be a student of his. In fact, let me uh, show you something interesting. Jesus was a rabbi, right? Rabbis have disciples. That was the name for a student of a rabbi. Every rabbi should have disciples. If you were a rabbi and you didn't have disciples, people would wonder what kind of rabbi you were. Jesus had disciples. 
In fact, he sent his disciples out to make more disciples. He told them at the end of Matthew, go into the world making disciples of all people. Now, the word disciple in Greek comes from the word mathetes. Everybody say mathetes. A mathetes was a disciple. Now, mathetes can be translated disciple, but when translators like translate a word, they actually have choices to make. You could do this or this or this or this. And disciple is one option, but there is maybe even a better translation of the Greek word mathetes. And it's the word learner, student. A disciple was a learner. A disciple was a student. To be a student means to have a teacher. So again, is Jesus your teacher? Jesus might be your Lord. Jesus might be your Savior. Jesus might be your pal, might be your buddy, might be your constant companion, might be your ever-present comfort, but is Jesus your teacher? Do you follow him around, write down everything he says and then memorize it and go do it? Is Jesus your instructor? Are you his student? Would you stand up on a desk for him? That's the first application question. Second question is this. What kind of students are we? Just as there are good teachers and bad ones, there are good students and bad ones. Good students learn and grow as people. In worldly terms, good students make more money. They serve the world more significantly. Bad students flunk out. They get stuck working at the photo booth at Six Flags, like forever. In Christianity, there is such a thing as being a good student. Good students of Jesus are rewarded with knowledge of God, understanding of his love and his will. Good students are rewarded with spiritual power and greater kingdom responsibilities. Yes, God loves all his students and welcomes all of us into his classroom by his grace alone. No one earns their way into God's classroom. We are welcomed into God's classroom by his grace. But we can nonetheless respond to his grace as a good student or a bad student. So are you a good student or a bad student? Are you an A student or a D student? A B student or a C student? And how do we become good students? Well, that's actually what I want to talk about with you for a few remaining moments this morning. There's a proper way to learn from Jesus as our teacher. There are things that good students of Jesus can do better. And that's what I want to share with you who are willing Four lessons on how to learn from Jesus, our teacher. Four lessons on how to learn from Jesus, our teacher. I really practically or realistically only have time for three lessons this morning. But this is the most important thing you're going to be doing all week, so you get four. Four lessons. First, unlearn what you thought you knew. Unlearn what you thought you knew. Good teachers know that before a student can learn new material, she has to unlearn what was incorrect. Otherwise, she'll just be putting new information on a miseducated brain. And this is true for faith, too. Part of learning about God is unlearning what we thought we knew about God. In the Sermon on the Mount, for example, which is Jesus' most famous, important lesson, Jesus spends an entire chapter helping the Jews unlearn what they thought they knew about righteousness. He says this a lot. He says, you have heard, dot, dot, dot. 
But I tell you, dot, dot, dot. You have heard this about divorce. I tell you this. You have heard this about adultery. I tell you this. You have heard this about anger. I tell you this. Each of us has spent a lifetime learning plenty about Scripture and God and truth. But we have to be humbly open to the possibility, though, that we might have maybe been on the wrong track and that Jesus has something more to teach, maybe even different to teach us. This can be destabilizing. This can be upsetting. And a lot of us react against the suggestion that we need to unlearn anything. I don't need to unlearn anything. I learned the truth. Maybe. But maybe not. When I was in seminary, for example, I had a theology professor named Dr. Schultz who blew my mind. He, he taught me the, the, the mysteries and the glories of Christian theology in a way nobody else ever had. It was invigorating. It was also infuriating. It was so upsetting having to, to listen to the glories of Christian theology and sort of recognize, man, I, didn't, I was wrong about some of this stuff. I would leave his class so excited, but so unsettled. I had so many, you have heard, but I tell you, moments. But they were good moments where I learned humility. I learned open-mindedness about things that no human can possibly conceive. We have to be willing to unlearn some of what we thought we knew so Jesus can have a blank slate. The best type of students are blank slate disciples. Unlearn what you thought you knew. Second, don't give up when the lessons get hard. Don't give up when the lessons get hard. If you've gotten to know Jesus as your teacher, you know that some of his lessons can be hard. You also know that part of this is by design. Take his parables. I told you that Jesus likes teaching in parables uh, because they are very memorable, and they really are. And a lot of people think that Jesus talks in parables about prodigal sons, you know, Good Samaritans, um, wedding banquets. A lot of people think that Jesus teaches in parables to make things easier to understand. And that's at least partly true, but it's also partly completely untrue. One of the reasons Jesus teaches in parables is actually to do the exact opposite. It's to confuse us. Uh, take the parable of the sower. Maybe you know the story of this parable. A farmer goes out to sow his seed, and he throws his seed on four different types of soil. And the point of the parable is that different people respond to faith in different ways, just like seed responds to different types of soil in different ways. Now, we know the meaning of that parable because Jesus goes on to explain it a little bit later. The disciples, though, to whom Jesus is, is, is telling the parable, they were royally confused. They weren't really that smart, the disciples were. In fact, I had a seminary professor who called the disciples, he called them the disciples. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And they ask Jesus, like, Jesus, we're, what? We don't get the story. We don't get the parable. Can you Savior explain it for us, please? So Jesus calls the disciples over, and he tells them something fascinating. He tells them this. He says, everything is said in parables, so that you may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. What? It sounds like Jesus is teaching in parables so that people stay confused, otherwise they would understand. What? What teaching school did Jesus go to? The point of education is not to confuse people, it's to enlighten people. 
But this is actually entirely consistent with how Jesus taught. He actually liked making things difficult. He liked speaking in riddles. Why? To test our determination. Living for God is hard. And Jesus wants to identify the people who are willing to buckle down and figure it out. The lesson here is that if you find yourself perplexed by faith, by scripture, for God, you're at the proper place that every student of Christ gets to, and you have to decide what to do. Will you quit, drop out, give in, and go work at the spiritual equivalent of the photo booth at Six Flags? Or will you bear down? Will you buckle down? Will you continue to read and learn and, and pray and seek to understand? Will you show God and yourself that you're serious about learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Because here's the thing. Unless you're serious about learning, you can't be a genuine disciple. Unless you're serious about learning, and I mean serious, serious about learning, you can't be a genuine disciple. Don't give up when the lessons get hard. Thirdly, learn alongside other students. Learn alongside other students. It's noteworthy uh, that while Jesus was on earth, very seldom can he be found giving anybody private lessons. I mean, it happens. But for the most part, Jesus preferred teaching in groups groups of his disciples. In fact, when he gathers his disciples together, he calls 12 of them to be together. As Luke describes, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. All right, guys, this is the group. Now, perhaps Jesus is just being efficient. Maybe he knows that he's going to leave soon, and he's going to need 12 disciples to spread out and spread the word. But I also think that he understood that generally people learn better together. People learn better together because other students ask questions that we didn't think to ask, because other students can hold one another accountable to the lessons, the assignments. This is important because in today's America, we like independent learning. We like independent studies, especially with the proliferation of online learning and online degree programs, which have so many advantages and are so self-directed, but can actually be quite limiting. I remember a story that a missionary Wes Stafford told years ago, at least I think it was Wes Stafford. He was a missionary in a third world country, and he was a teacher in a classroom of children in a community that really valued communal learning. And one day during class, he was going around the entire class asking individual students the answer to a question to test their progress. And he got to one student, and he asked that student a question, and the student didn't know the answer. And every other student in the classroom knew the answer and leaned in to give it to him. And Wes shut him down and said, no, 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 I want to hear it from this kid. The kid didn't, didn't know the answer. And the children were all confused. Like, well, we want to help. We want to help him learn this material. It's like, no, I need to hear it from them. So Wes just ended up humiliating this child and keeping the, 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 the class from learning together. It's a clash of cultural educational values. In the West, 
We prize independent learning, individual performance. In other cultures, they value community and shared learning experiences. Many education experts will say that other cultures do it better. And it seems to be how Jesus did it. He gathered his disciples together because he knew that they would learn better that way. And that's why we really prioritize here at Rooftop small group Bible studies, small group book studies, because that's how people learn better. We have lots of opportunities. If you're interested in one, let us know. We would be happy to connect you. If one doesn't work for your schedule, there are actually thousands of churches in St. Louis with thousands of small group Bible studies. Either way, if you really want to learn as a student from Jesus, you need a group to be a part of that can help you come up with the answers that you don't know. Christianity is too hard to learn doing it on your own. And frankly, that's exactly what a lot of you are attempting to do. You're attempting to learn how to do Christianity on your own. Let me be very clear. Won't work. Can't work. Not designed to work that way. And if you're frustrated or lonely as you try to learn how to do Christianity on your own, to quote my professor, duh. Can't happen. Learn alongside other students. And then lastly, live with Jesus and do what he does. Live with Jesus and do what he does. In describing Jesus as a teacher, we have to understand that he wasn't just a classroom teacher who taught a single topic. He was more of an ever-present life coach who taught his disciples whatever was necessary about anything important. He taught them about faith, about suffering, about life, about death, about worship, about prayer, about rest, about family, about relationships, about marriage, about conflict, about theology. He had a lot to teach them, and, and they didn't like meet for an hour a day. They did life together for three years. As Mark writes in his gospel, he appointed 12 disciples, and this is key, that they might be with him. That's what he said. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. They ate together, they slept together, they traveled together, they socialized together. That's how they learned. They lived with Jesus. That's what it meant to be a disciple of a rabbi back in Jesus' day. You didn't study Hebrew with your rabbi on Tuesdays. You lived with him, observing everything he did in any setting. You would eat as your rabbi ate. You would speak as your rabbi spoke. You would sleep when your rabbi spoke, uh, slept. The lesson here is that to be a student of Jesus means to be with him at all times. Jesus has wisdom and guidance on any situation we might ever find ourselves in. To be a student of Jesus is to care what he would have us do in any situation as people of faith. How would we speak to our boss? How would we serve our spouse? How would we raise our children? How would we watch Netflix? Would we watch Netflix? And the simple answer to that question is that we would do so exactly as Jesus would. To be a student, a disciple of Jesus, means to imitate our rabbi. That's what Paul means when he tells the Thessalonians, be imitators of the Lord. We see an example of this in the story of Peter walking on the water uh, with Jesus. And I'll leave you with this before we close with worship. You know the story of Peter walking on the water with Jesus. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. They needed to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they get into a boat, and they start to cross the Sea of Galilee. They leave Jesus behind, or Jesus chooses to stay behind. 
And Jesus eventually decides to catch up with them. And he takes the direct route, which involves walking across the Sea of Galilee. Now, the disciples in the boat actually see this figure in the distance walking across the water. They're understandably a little freaked out. Ah, there's a man walking on the water. Not sure what that is. Uh, eventually, they realize that it's Jesus, at which point Peter makes an odd request. What does Peter ask to be able to do? Walk out on the water, right, with him. He says, Lord, if it's you, call me out of the water. I'm like, Lord, if it's not you, I don't know what, <laughs> what I should do. But that's Peter's request. Lord, if it's you, call me out of the water with you. Now, have you ever wondered why Peter asked to come out on the water? I mean, Peter's kind of a loose cannon. He was always coming up with suggestions, so that's understandable. But still, why would this occur to him? Why would he want to walk out on the water to Jesus? It actually seems kind of dumb and pointless. Just let Jesus make his way to the boat. Why would, Peter, why would it even occur to Peter to ask to come out on the water with him? The answer to that is actually somewhat simple, because Jesus was his rabbi. And disciples of rabbis were assigned to imitate whatever they saw their rabbi doing. Peter saw Jesus as his rabbi walking on the water. I want to do that. As you know, Jesus called Peter out of the water. He took a few steps before sinking, being lifted out by his Lord, by his teacher. That's what it means to be a student of Christ. It means to see what Jesus does and do the same. It means to imitate your rabbi. When you don't know what to do as a person of faith, imitate your rabbi. When you don't know how to interact with people you can't stand, imitate your rabbi. Show them you love them. When you don't know what to pray, imitate your rabbi. Pray the way he prayed to his father. When your facing challenge is too great for you to face, imitate your rabbi. Take a step of faith on the waters of your fears. When you don't know how to stay married, imitate your rabbi. Love your spouse as Christ loved the church. When you don't know how to raise your children, imitate your rabbi. Welcome them into your life. Bless them as the Father would. When you don't know what to do in life and faith, imitate your rabbi. Look to your rabbi. Look to your teacher. Look to your captain. That's why God has given him to you. Life and faith, too hard to master on our own. We're too ignorant, we're too clueless, we're not spiders. We need a teacher. God in his grace gives us one. He loves us too much to leave us wandering around, guessing about the truth. So he came as Professor Keating to open up our minds and hearts. There is no doubt that Jesus is the kind of teacher who can change our lives forever. The only real question is whether or not we will let him. Jesus is the kind of teacher we need, but are we the kinds of students that he wants? Let's pray. Father, I asked that question, but I know the answer. We are not the kind of students that you want. We are dropouts. We are slackers. We are disciples. We forget things. We forget your lessons. We don't understand them. Even though you try to make things simple for us sometimes, we still don't get it. 
So if the way to heaven is by following the instruction of our teacher, then we are hopeless there. But thankfully, that's not the way to heaven. The way to heaven is through your grace, through your sacrifice, and through your Holy Spirit. He gives us strength to become the kind of students that you want us to be. I pray that as Rooftop is a teaching church, teaching is one of our values, I pray that we can continue to, by your power, by your grace, by your strength, to become the kind of students who can serve the world and serve one another in your truth. Students who aren't afraid to unlearn what we need to, students who learn together, students who aren't afraid to push in when we're understandably confused by the difficulties of faith, and students who, when it comes down to it, imitate what we see our rabbi doing. We don't always have to understand why Jesus acted in order to imitate what he did. Thank you for this morning, our opportunity to learn from you. Thank you for this opportunity to give you the worship that you deserve. Be with us this week as we continue to learn to serve you as you came to earth to serve us. We pray these things in your name.